0: If you're a pastor, in addition to being a professional speaker, a CEO, a counselor, you also have to be a fundraiser. This is number four of the unreasonable, unrealistic expectations that are placed on you as pastors, laid out by our good friend, Alexander Lang, who wrote this article that went viral a few months ago called Departure, Why I Left the Church. And in it, as a senior pastor in a Presbyterian church for many years, He steps down and he gives the reasons why. And in this article, he talks about the seven expectations that are placed on every pastor. And we've been going through these one by one. So if you're just joining us, this is part four. In part one, we talked about the pressure and the expectation to be a professional speaker In part two, we talked about that pressure you have to be the CEO. In part three, we talked about the pressure you have to be a counselor. And actually, if you don't watch any other ones of this series except for that one, I think it's perhaps the most important one in terms of managing the relational expectation you have as a pastor, particularly around your availability as a pastor. If you have ever struggled with the expectation that people in your church feel like you should be at their beck and call and subject to their whims, you need to listen to last week's episode, episode 108. Because in it, I give a framework for how to break out of that expectation that you as the pastor or one of the pastors at your church are the end-all be-all of someone's spiritual well-being. That you have to be there living life with them, counseling them whether formally or informally through every part of their life. That expectation times however many people are in your church can be unbelievably crippling and it can cause lots of people to burn out. So if you don't listen to any other ones, listen to that one. Today we're going to talk about fundraising. When it comes to fundraising... It is an inevitable fact of church leadership. Your church needs funds in order to do what you do. And a lot of churches struggle with income for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Some churches just have a culture where everybody thinks that everyone else is gonna foot the bill. Some churches have a lot of new believers, which is a a great thing, but sometimes there's a lag between people who are coming to Christ and have come to Christ and a a lag between that and them making the decision that they're going to give a portion of their income to support the ministry. That's a big deal. And if you have never done that before, it can be a process. And some churches are just (laughs) people (laughs) just know like, you know, Someone else is going to foot the bill, and so I don't have to think about it. don't have to worry about it. Not everybody's taking that responsibility personally. So just the day-to-day operations of the church and keeping that well-funded so that your staff is paid, your debt is serviced if you have debt, your bills are paid, and you can actually do ministry, like your ministries are funded, just that by itself is a massive responsibility and a massive burden and challenging for a lot of churches. So there's that element of fundraising, just raising enough funds on a regular basis so that you can do the ongoing functions of your church. The other side of fundraising is like <clears throat> special projects. Like you wanna expand, you wanna build a building, you wanna start a new campus, you want to acquire a space and uh, you know fit it out for your church. You want to do some kind of project in the community. You're, you want to do something, anything you do at all, it's going to cost money. So those kind of special projects and expansion and growth fall a lot on the lead pastor. Because in week two, when we talked about the CEO function, one of the things I talked about there was the idea that as the leader of the church, as the lead pastor, and even if you have a structure where you have a plurality of leadership, which is a great idea, it's very wise, where you have an elder body or a church council or a session, and that leadership responsibility is shared, or even if you have a model where maybe you have the elder board, but then also there's like multiple lead pastors. There's like lead pastor of teaching, lead pastor of ministries, lead pastor of you know operations. Some churches take that approach. It really doesn't matter. If you're the one who speaks most, you're the leader. This is the way it is. You are perceived as the leader when people think about the church, they think about you. And unless the burden of preaching, I say burden, I don't mean that to sound bad. I mean just if the responsibility, the task of preaching unless that is completely 100% equally dispersed. If you speak the most, you are the leader. So with that, what we talked about with CEO is that your role as the leader of the church doesn't mean that you need to be executing the work of the church or executing the, the vision of the church. The vision itself, like the essence of the vision And the communication and championing of that vision is what comes from you, right? That's what emanates from you. Because otherwise, who else is gonna do it? That's what we talked about in week two. When it comes to fundraising, you really can't separate that communication of the vision and the championing of the vision. You can't separate that from the lead pastor. So if you're the lead pastor, and you want your church to be a giving church, you want your church to be able to fund the ministries that you have or fund the special projects that you plan to take on, you have to personally understand exactly what the vision is, exactly how to communicate it, and you have to do that confidently and boldly and in a way that fits you. All that stuff has to be there, but I'm gonna walk you through some ways to to do that. But from the very start, I just want to say this is one of those areas where your communication is key, which is why here at Preaching Donkey, I help you communicate. That's one of the things that we do. In fact, it's the main thing we do here at Preaching Donkey. So if you haven't yet grabbed the 21-day guide, go to preachingdonkey.com 21 days, pick up your free 21-day guide to creating killer sermons. In that you'll find a three week, three step process that will walk you through how to create and deliver a compelling message. And one of the things that you'll understand how to do is if you can craft a message that is compelling, you can craft a talk about fundraising or a project that you're trying to do that is compelling. It's all the same process, it's all the same thing. And so grab that, preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. You'll be glad that you did. All right, so I've been running each of these through a three-part filter or framework to understand how to position this responsibility against how involved you personally want to be. So we look at it like this. Is this something that I need to embrace personally? Is this something that I need to delegate to someone else on my staff? Or is this something that I need to outsource to another organization? And like many of these, this fundraising piece has pieces of all three, okay? So let's start with embracing. What does it look like? And I'm mainly talking to you if you are the lead pastor or if you are the person who preaches the most. What does it look like for you to embrace personally the responsibility of fundraising, And I'm going to lump in, by the way, I'm going to lump in kind of general giving to make the budget happen week to week, month to month. And I'm going to lump that in with special projects like you want to build a building. Okay. So in any case, what do you need to embrace personally? Well, first of all, um, I think you have to personally believe in the vision and believe in what your church is doing. <clears throat> this is like fundamental stuff. If you don't believe it yourself, it's going to be really hard to communicate it. Believe me. I've been in situations where I had to communicate like, "Hey, we're doing this thing and it's going to be great. It's going to be so much awesome." And I'm thinking, "Nah, it's not." <laughs> like we always say that, but it's it's not. Like this sometimes it's awesome, but this, nah, this isn't. People can feel that, they can sense that. <clears throat> and when it comes to money, um, you're asking people to part with their like their source of livelihood. You have to really, really believe in it at a guttural level. Uh, because otherwise, one, it's I think it's unethical to ask people to fund something that you don't even think is worthy. And two, it's just not believable. So uh, I think at the first level, you have to sit back and think, okay, is this project that we're doing that we've agreed to do, the leadership, me, wh- whatever. We got together and we decided this is something we want to do. Is this like, do I believe in this? And if you don't, then take a step back, rework it, get rid of it, do whatever. But like, let's just say that you've gotten to the point where you're like, yes, I believe in the ministries of this church. I believe in this particular project we're doing. I believe in the way we've structured our our money such that it's, it's managed well, all that. If you believe all that, and um, you have no qualms with personally funding it yourself, like you're giving, you believe in it, and you're giving yourself, you and your family, you're giving. If all that is there, then what does it look like to embrace it? Well, I think a big part of it is you have to tie giving to the end result of the vision. So it's not enough just to communicate the vision powerfully, and to communicate the why of the vision. All that, you have to do that. But when it comes to giving, you have to make it very clear to people how their generosity, particularly like them, like they when they give that money they give, the result of that money is this thing, right? And I think this is one of the things that, this is one of the reasons why the vision has to be believable and compelling because it has to have an end result that matters to people. So if you want to build, like let's say you, you want to build your kid's space, right? You want to build a new building to accommodate all the kids that are, that are coming and it's going to cost $10 million to build this kids, kid's building, for example. Well, if you just said, hey, we're running out of space, we need a building, Uh, This is really going to free up some, uh, uh, you know, right now the kids are clogging up the hallways on Sunday and this will make it better and it'll be easier because you'll be able to drop them off and pick them up uh, in a better place. The problem with that is those are all true reasons and that's great and being full of kids is a good problem to have, but there's no vision there. The vision has to go beyond just we're going to build a building that's going to hold kids. The vision has to be this building is going to be a mechanism, a tool for us to connect with young hearts and connect them to a God who created them, loves them, has a plan for them. And if we don't build this building, then we we run the risk of not being able to adequately get into the lives of children and point them to jesus and if we can't do that then we are doomed as a church we're doomed as a community so when you give to this building you're giving to that kid who understands for the first time who jesus is understands how jesus relates to her understand what it means to follow jesus wants to be baptized wants to walk in faith this building is going to empower that So that type of communication where you have to point to the end result and you have to talk about the stakes. What is at stake if you don't do this? What is the result if you do? And then what role do they play? What what is their part in this? So that is a very simplified way of thinking about it. But if you believe in the vision itself and you personally contribute to it, and you go beyond just the why of the vision, but you go to the results directly of the money that's given, then you can make things happen. Now, on a week to week basis, another way to communicate this, and by the way, you don't have to be the only one who talks about this. One of the things, like you you have to lead the way, but I would highly, highly recommend that other people on your staff also believe the vision also contribute to the vision, also understand and connect the dots between the giving and the result. All of that is is incredibly helpful. It doesn't have to be you. It just has to, it it has to be you, but it doesn't only have to be you. Okay, so when it comes to weekly weekly giving, the other thing, and this is just low-hanging fruit, but every single week, you should have someone, either you, yourself, or someone else on your staff, Take some intentional time before either the offering plates are passed, or if you don't pass the plates, you just have buckets in the back. That's fine, but the the time where you talk about giving, and if you don't talk about giving in every service, you should. There should be some point at which you say, "Hey, the ministries here are funded by your gifts. So thank you for giving. Here's how you give. Make it very easy. Make it." automatable, make do, do all the things that make it very easy for people to give, and then focus on one of three things every single Sunday, a stat, a story, or a scripture, and you can rotate these through, okay? So a stat, it could be something like, did you know that if we reach a child by the time they're 10, the chances of them becoming a Christian are 90% higher than if we don't reach them till they're 18. I don't know if that's true. I just pulled that out. There's some stat like that. Or you could say, did you know that within six mile, a six mile radius of this church, there's 200,000 families and only 10% of them go to church or have any connection to a local church, which means that there are, you know, 260,000 people within a six mile radius who don't have a connection to a local church. When you give we are able to fund the ministries that reach those people right so it's it's stats right and stats speak to some people like some people go oh my gosh yeah that's right that's that's amazing okay so that's that's one thing story okay story is another huge thing story is probably the biggest thing if you were only going to do one thing just do stories every single week so it could be we. The stat was if we reach kids by the time they're ten, we have a ninety percent bigger chance of reaching them before they're eighteen. That kind of thing. Well, maybe instead of instead of just that stat, it could be a story about a, a kid who's ten years old who came to church, who heard about Jesus, who wanted to get baptized, and look here's the video of little Johnny giving his life to Jesus and being baptized, and that amazing. Like let's watch it. That 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 kind of story. Or it could be instead of you know, within a six mile radius of the church, there's 260,000 people who don't know Jesus. That's a great stat. But here's, you know, Susie and Susie, uh, Susie's neighbor who goes here, reached out to her and invited her to church. And Susie was reluctant, but one day Susie was going through something and she was like, oh, I remember my neighbor goes to this church. So she came and here she is. And now her life has changed and she's giving her life to Jesus. And we're going to baptize her and watch the video. So those kinds of stories could be it could be stories like that of people meeting Jesus. It could be couples, married couples who are on the brink of divorce and they, they uh, because of the ministries of the church, they find healing and, and restoration in their marriage. It could be someone who's new to faith and they go through a study that your church offers on for new believers. And so because of that, they understand who Jesus is and now they're sharing their faith with their coworkers and friends. It could be any of those things. Stories are so powerful. The key though is to tie, again, the result, like here's the story, here's what happened, tie that result to their giving. So it's like when you give, you make it possible for people like Susie to, to find Jesus. You make it possible for this 10-year-old kid to find Jesus. You make it possible for couples like you know Jim and Karen to find hope and restoration and healing. I don't know where these names are coming from. <laughs> but the point is, you get the idea. When you share a story, you're sharing something that people connect with. And then scripture, right? So it could be as easy as just uh, talking very quickly about, you know, no one should give out of reluctance or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. As we give today, let's give cheerfully knowing that our tithes and offerings are going to Um, to fund the work that God's doing here and in the community. It could be very, very simple. But if at least every single week you're giving either a stat, a story, or a scripture, or a combination of, of all three, keeping it brief and tying it to the results, that's a really, really good way to do it. So in terms of your embracing it personally, so much of it comes down to your communication of it. And if you have a mechanism where every single week it's being communicated, at least in the offering talk, and then you're not afraid to talk about money. You're not afraid to preach about money. You're not afraid to mention money. And it's not always give it to us because we need it. It's, it's more, um, here is the way that God has set this up to work, right? God has given you, money that belongs to him for you to manage and part of managing that money is to manage and fund the work that god is doing in the world and here's your opportunity to do that so when it comes to personally embracing i think it's got to be something that you embrace from a communication perspective now what does it look like to delegate delegation to other people on staff i think there's two really really important things that you should delegate uh, so that you're not in the weeds. Again, this is if you're a lead pastor. Someone in your church or on your staff should be reaching out to first time givers. And I think the really, really high touch way to do this is with a handwritten note. So the first time somebody r- gives your church a monetary gift of any size, it is so powerful to have somebody on staff, maybe one of the pastors reach out in the mail, like write an old school, like write a little note that says, Hey, Jim, I am, thank you so much for giving to our church. Uh, you know, for the first time, your gift is going to make a huge difference in people's lives. We don't take it for granted. We appreciate you. And you know, we're praying for you this week and then, you know, say a prayer. And, and in that letter, along with that handwritten note, Give some information on how they can either automate giving, write up like have a have some type of card or infographic that has like <clears throat> a quick snapshot of like how their generosity is going to impact the community and the church in a positive way, or maybe you know missions organizations that you're a part of, and then a quick, quick snapshot of like how they can automate their giving. And by the way, this can be done as a email uh, chain as well, like as an email funnel uh, is, would be the marketing term for it, but it can be done as an email, a sequence of emails. That's totally fine. But I think it's, it's helpful to do both, right? They get the handwritten note in the mail. That's very high touch, little card insert in there with like a quick snapshot of where their money is going or how it's being used or whatever. It doesn't have to be your budget. It can just be like high level, like this, these are the things that we do in the community. So it's like, hey, you're giving to something good and a quick note on how they can automate it or or at least give online. And then, and then a handwritten note. Then your emails can, uh, you can have a nurture sequence of emails where it goes out to them, same kind of thing. We appreciate you, we're very thankful. Um, here's where your money's going. Here's a link if you wanna automate your giving. Make it very, very low key, low pressure, but the, the the more you can automate the more you can encourage people to automate the more you can rely on the income and i think a lot of churches are so reluctant to ask or even provide an opportunity for people to automate and i like the way the people at the rocket company put it uh, or maybe this was i can't remember who this was but somebody somebody somewhere said automate the important. And I think there's something to that where it's like my mortgage is automated because it's important to me. All my bills are automated because it's important to me. My credit card gets paid off in full every single month on, on the due date, the entire balance, because it's important to me. I automate the important. Well, when it comes to my church, I automate that because it's important to me. Now, in my case, I don't because my I'm an entrepreneur, so my income is, is all over the place. But when I was working like a W-2 job, like when I was a pastor, And I knew exactly what I was gonna make every single month, it was automated. So encourage people to automate uh, without, don't be shy about it, but don't be pushy about it, if that makes sense. Okay, so the other thing that the person on staff who is delegated this task of fundraising, somebody needs to have their their eyes on the numbers on a weekly basis. You need to look for trends. You need to try to figure out when are we low? When are we high? uh, How many giving units do we actually have? What that means is how many like individuals or families in our church, households are giving and how does that compare to the rest of our church? And all this information needs to be provided to you in a way that you can digest on a regular basis so that when you communicate about giving, you actually know here are the high-level stats. Here's where we need to work. Here's the you know, the things that we, we have. Here's the things that we need. The other part of it too, and this is an embracing and a delegating, but one of the best ways to raise funds or to stay flush with cash as a church is do not overextend yourself. Only do the things that you can afford to do. And don't expand or build for growth. Expand or build because of the growth that you've already experienced. What you don't want to do is be a small church with a massive building and a mountain of debt you can't service. That is a very, very common place to be and it stinks to high heaven. I've been in churches like that. Big, huge building, tons and tons and tons of debt, small amount of people because we built it and they didn't come. That is not where you want to be. You want to be very, very responsible. That is something you have to embrace, and it's something that the church has to also embrace, and then it becomes easier because your pitches for projects and fundraising are not, we need, we need, we need, we're drowning, we're about to die, we're up against the wall. It's, it's none of that. You don't have that, you're, you're not giving that energy of desperation because the church is fine. You're saying, we have this amazing opportunity, and you get to be a part of it if you want to be, and if you want to share in the blessings. If you don't, cool. Well, maybe not cool, but you know, you get the idea. You, you decide. It's your choice, but we don't need it. We're not dying without it. We just want this for you. We want you to be able to participate in what God is doing, which is cool. That's a way better place to be than we're desperate, and we're scared, and please give. I've been in both situations as a church leader and I much prefer uh, when things are good and you haven't overextended yourself. So embrace it from a communication perspective uh, and from owning it and loving it, believing in it, the whole thing. Delegate it to someone on staff who can really keep track of it and have a good first-time giver follow-up sequence. And then third, how do we outsource? Well, sometimes you may decide that you need help raising funds and so you you might want to consider at times hiring a firm that will help you a consulting firm that will help you raise money now i will say the fees on these types of things are very very high eight to ten percent usually so if you're going to raise let's say ten million dollars you're paying eighty thousand to a hundred thousand bucks for them to help you do that that is a lot of money and in some cases, you may not need it. In some cases, you, it might just be as simple as we wanna We want to build this building, we need X amount of dollars, we need it over X amount of time, uh, let's do it. Where firms come in handy is firms typically know what it takes to get a bank to lend you the money. So banks wanna see pledges, typically. Banks wanna see long-term pledges, which typically in church world means about three years. So what they wanna see is they wanna see, okay, you've got... 400 families that have pledged that over the next three years they're going to give a total of six million dollars so we will lend you that six million dollars because you have these promises basically it's as good as you can get with churches nobody's legally liable but like basically like we can pretty much count on Um, if they said they're going to do it in three years we should get that amount of money and maybe the math is different. Maybe it's you got $6 million worth of pledges. Therefore, we're going to lend you $3 million because half the people are not going to do what they said they're going to do or their situation is going to change or whatever. But the point is firms sometimes can help you to get to the point where you can then go borrow the money. So you may decide that that's something that you want to outsource. But I would say before you get to that, before you get down the road and you're thinking about outsourcing, I would really make sure that you have personally embraced it you have delegated the appreciation of your givers and the tracking of your numbers so that you can see where the trends are and you are eliminating waste and you're maximizing the, the gifts that are coming in. All of that stuff should be in place long before you ever decide that it's time to outsource. Those are my thoughts on fundraising. It can be really, really, really stressful you can really run the risk sometimes of people thinking that you're all about money. But here's the reality. It takes money to do anything. And when it comes to church work, it costs churches the same as it costs anybody else to build a building. The contractor wants his money. All the (laughs) subcontractors want their money. All that kind of stuff. The one massive benefit you have as a church, at least right now in the US, you're not paying property taxes. So that's a huge, huge deal. You're also not paying taxes on your income. So that is a massive benefit that we have. I know it's controversial in in a lot of circles, but it is the state of things right now. But other than that, you're paying the same as everyone else in terms of what you're paying for the buildings, what you're paying for the construction. It doesn't cost you any less. And it doesn't cost you, you have to pay staff and they have to have benefits and you have to pay them competitively to keep them. And you got to fund ministries and you, you I mean, there's just everything costs money. So don't be shy about it, but make sure that it's that again, that goes back to why you have to believe in it at such a core level that you're not shy about it and you're willing to have people misunderstand you. Hope that helps. Come back next week as we're going to talk about the human resources director <laughs> on top of everything else. you got to be HR. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so come back come back next week for that. I will see you then. Until then, remember if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.